Thank you. Well, um, I'm Daniel Baden. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning and continue the team that Ron kind of started in the morning. And those of you who came for uh, the announcements, he talked about the refugee um, and the ministry that our church has decided to, um, uh, to pick up. And uh, there's a good chance that very soon we are going to uh, adopt or kind of uh, take a refugee family from the airport and help and walk with them for the first few months of their new life in this new country, in their adopted country. So we give thanks for that. And in the same, um, kind of in the same uh, line of thinking, um, we, uh, we are going to look today at a text in, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Kings. It comes from, um, it comes from the book of uh, Kings, chapter 2, verse Chapter 5, verse 1 to 14. Now, the, the story is longer, but it is about, in many ways, it's about a refugee situation. And it's not a, a happy situation. So we are going to look at God's plan for your pain. It's a lot of pain in this story. And before we dig into this text uh, and, in, and the story, I just want you to uh, maybe just remember, I think that uh, I, I said this before, but there is this uh, story that I heard recently. There was a doctor, a surgeon, that was in the ER, and he worked one, uh, one time, and at night there was a girl, young girl coming with the ambulance. He was, uh, he was uh, on call, and she almost was no responsive to anything, and uh, she, uh, she was in a really bad shape, all bloody, all wounded. And her heart stopped, and he had to open her chest, and he, he said, I had to really pull my, uh, push my heart under her ribs and massage her heart in order to start it again. And he saved the life of that girl, but uh, later that night he went home, and early in the morning when he uh, washed his hand at home, he discovered that he had a little cut on his finger. It was like a thin paper cut, you know, on his finger. And he didn't pay much attention, but then he um, remembered that the tests came back from this girl, and they discovered that she was picked up on the street. She was a girl that had a lot of illnesses, infections, and even HIV in her blood. And then he realized that uh, he now, as a young doctor with a family to, uh, to take care of, it could be that he might have picked up the HIV. And he said, what I'm going to do if, if, if this is going to be uh, my, my trouble now and my illness that will take me sooner than I want? A little thin paper cut, if it's an infection that can kill you, it's deadly. It can be deadly. And maybe you say, well, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't have those problems. I am, I am healthy. Or maybe you say, I'm not like this girl that was caught I mean, in, in, in the violence on the street and uh, a life on the street. But you never know because... I think all of us, the, the general principle of life is all of us, sooner or later, we are going to go through some trouble. We are going to suffer some pain. We are going to know what problems are. And it can be relational breakup. It can be just a spouse coming home and saying, you know, I am done. It can be a child that is deciding to go on his own or her own. It can be a job that you lose. It can be a house, a financial crisis. 
a health crisis, an illness. It can be a heart that is not pumping anymore the way it should. It can be a kidney that is not working the way it should. It can be a diagnosis on your body, on your health. We all go through problems. And I want to start with this verse. In, uh, it's, it's a verse in the book of Kings. The time is about 20, I mean 80, 84, 840. So it's about 2,800 years ago. And you may say, why is it relevant? You know, why, why do we read text like that today? So just follow with me the text. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord gave victory to Aram, and he was a valiant, valiant soldier. If you remember, Syria is not far, it's just north, even today, but it's, in that time Syria was an empire that grew in the north side of Israel, of the Holy Land that we call today. By this time, Solomon's kingdom was done, divided in two, so they had in the north Samaria, in the south Israel, and Syria was the biggest enemy, or the biggest power, and they always liked to expand in the south. And what they will do is they will go in the south, plunder, and take slaves, captives, up in the north. So that's why there is a lot, there is a lot of uh, deportation, that they will take people from the south and bring them into the Syrian empire and have them uh, work as slaves. So today Syria is again a battlefield, as you know. Just in these days they say that there are some of the, some of the, uh, the, the armies or the, the military uh, people that are s- supported by the U.S. are advancing into the Raqqa, which is right in the north side of Syria, which is the capital of ISIS. And they found a little corridor where they can enter into Raqqa, and they are starting to, uh, to have some victories, and now the ISIS, the remaining ISIS, are still, still debating with them, can we leave, can we leave here before you, uh, you destroy all of us? And there is a lot of war and fighting, even today in that region of the world. And this is a powerful figure. You know, Naaman is a powerful, somebody that when he walks on the streets, he has an army behind him. He walks in a chariot or maybe on a high horse. He is like that knight in shining armor that everybody looks upon. He is in many ways a hero. He is the hero of this nation. If you want to think of somebody in our, I'm not sure, maybe at least like Abraham Lincoln, of the United States. You know, he is a powerful man that saved the empire. And he is number two in the empire. He is at the top of his career. And all his life, he worked for what he gained. At this point in time, he is so powerful. He is so powerful that everybody envies him. The woman looks at him and says to the daughters, that's a man like, you should look for a man like him. Other wives look at him and say, I would have liked to marry this guy because he's so powerful. If you give him a sword, he knows what to do with it. He never left the battlefield in a loss. He was always victorious. If you tell him this is the map, this is, this is our enemy, he will know how to read the map. He will know how to deploy the forces and gain victory. He was a great warrior. And except the king of Syria, everybody else was there to serve him. He was so powerful that everyone else was there to serve him. He had a lot of power. 
He had a lot of power. If he will say, go this way, the army will go this way. If he will say, we attack this nation, the army will go and attack a nation. He was a guy who basically built the map of that Middle Eastern area. He moved boundaries, borders. He conquered countries. He decided destinies, not for one or two families, but for entire nations at a time. And that's what he did. He was a hero. In fact, Josephus, one of the Jewish historians, he says that in earlier chapter, chapter, chapter 4, there's a king of Israel who dies because of an arrow. And he claims that that arrow came from his bow. He was so powerful and so, so um, excellent in his fighting skills that he was at the top of society. He had a lot of power. And isn't the truth that people are willing to pay today a lot for their power? But his power was something he worked for. He worked for day and night. It wasn't something he inherited. He wasn't just an empty suit. He was indeed a warrior. He had the scars to prove it. He had the blood on his ankles and on his body. He proved that he earned his respect and his place in society. But people, as you know, they are willing to sacrifice a lot to gain power. But what's interesting is there is a line in the first verse. It says, now Naaman was the commander of the army. He was this great deal. You know, he was a valiant sterner, but there is always this. But. And it says, he had leprosy. He was this big, powerful guy, but he had this problem. And his problem was that he had leprosy. So as he walked, can you imagine that as he walked to town, under his shining armor, under all of these stars of a, of a big, big figure, there was this bacteria on his body. And it started maybe as a white spot on his skin. And he maybe neglected it. But after a while, that bacteria starts to go through the skin. And he went into his flesh. And maybe by this time, he went to his bones. And maybe he didn't spread on his face or arms yet to be seen. But he had this secret illness on his body. And he was trying to hide it. Because leprosy is oozing a lot of times. is basically rotten fresh flesh. That is oozing and it has a bad smell. It has a bad odor. So how many times he tried to maybe bandage when he went outside so that nobody will notice it? A powerful man with a problem. And the truth for all of us is that we don't like people with problems. We put them away, especially if you are a leper. We have a colony where we put. When I grew up, we had colonies for lepers. We put them in colonies back home. And even if they were not contagious at that stage, I remember as young people in the church, we went to worship with them and visit, and, and they were still staying in the colony. They were not allowed to leave. We were allowed to visit with them, touch them, and pray with them, worship with them, but not leave. They were not allowed to leave. So if people knew that he is a leper, he might have lost his stature, his position in society, his family, his wealth. And he might have been even socially an outcast very soon. But the truth is that all of us are in this danger. We are not, you say, I don't have leprosy. I, I'm not sick. I'm not fighting anything. But all of us are hiding something. So the question is for us, what are you hiding? We all look nice this morning. We are dressed, washed up. We smell nice. We comb our hair, 
We came to church, and yet under our clothes, there could be something that we are all hiding. Each and every one of us have something to hide. And it is not far. It's just there. What are you hiding there? It's interesting. The story goes and explains the situation. It says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. That's in the south. And she served Naaman's wife. She became an instant slave. From a free girl, she became an instant slave. She wasn't a refugee by choice. She was a spoil of war. She became captive in his house. And she started to serve his wife. Now, Josephus, again, the historian, the Jewish historian, he says that Naaman got sick with leper after he wiped out her family and brought her as a slave because God punished him. We don't know if that's true or not, but that's what one of the historians interprets and says, you know, because of his violent behavior, maybe he wiped out his brothers, her brothers and sister, her family. Maybe, maybe she saw them executed right in front of her eyes. And maybe he just grabbed her from his horse and threw her through his Soldiers and said, make sure you bring that to my wife because she can work and slave and serve my wife. And she left behind on the ground, bloody her entire family. We don't know how it happened, but we know that she was a servant and a little girl. She wasn't very old, maybe 10, maybe 13, in his household. And she comes to the wife and she's the one who maybe at night is the only one allowed to see the king, I mean Naaman, the commander, taking off his armor and his clothes. And she's the one who maybe has to bring new uh, potions and, 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 and new tissue to make sure that she wraps those leper wounds on his body. Because she's a nobody, you know, and she comes and she says to her mistress, if only my master will see the prophet, the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. That is the best news. That is the news of the gospel for you and for me. That's what God tells us this morning. There is a cure for your leprosy. I'm not sure what you are hiding. Every one of us hides something. But what I am sure and what God tells us is that there is a cure for whatever we are hiding under our shining armor, under our clothes. There is a cure. And there is a solution, and that's the good news. You can be healed. Now, can you imagine that she would say that? I mean, she was in the wrong race. She was a Jew in a Syrian city. She wasn't supposed to even be talking to her to her master. And she was the wrong gender. Who, who, who cares in that time about what a woman, what a little girl even, will say? She was the wrong gender. She was the wrong class. She wasn't even a free person. She was a slave. She was one of those collateral damages, damages in a war. She had no family. Her family was very far if they were alive. Otherwise, they were all wiped out. She had no friends with her. She was alone in this new culture in, with this new language, with these new traditions. She had no country. Her country was conquered. She was taken up, moved 
deported. And revenge, I think, seems the proper response to Naaman. She would have looked at the master who maybe wiped out her family, but definitely brought her from her own country to this place in Syria. And said, that's what you need. You need leper. You should die. You don't need to be healed because you killed so many. You are a violent person. You are mean. You were mean to my people. You destroyed my people. Why would I even say this? I'm not sure to your wife. But that's, that's the proper response, revenge. And that's our proper response many times, revenge, right? Don't, don't we want that? It's a natural response. I'm sure you remember that movie, the Les, Les Mis, we call it, The Miserable by Victor Hugo. It's a novel. But the entire novel is about one inspector, Javier, wanted his revenge on one guy who had sometime stole some food to feed his family. And his entire life is based on revenge, this feeling that we need to get even. And at the end of, of the novel, basically, he commits suicide because he, he realizes that revenge, you cannot live in a state of revenge. It's not good. It doesn't make sense. And that's what this girl does. He's in captivity. She's in captivity. But the real test of the character comes later on. You see, Naaman had power as a result of what he did. Because he conquered nations. He was victorious. But she had power because of who she knew. She knew somebody more powerful than anybody, even than her master. And that's what the good news is. The good news is that it doesn't matter what you do, right? The good news is this. Who you know, and that is Jesus is more powerful than what you do, good works. Our society and every other religion than Christianity says, your future is based on what you do. Your blessing in this life, your health, your wealth, your power, and even your eternity is based on what you do. And Christianity, Christ Jesus says, it is not about what you do. It is about what I did on your behalf. And the good news is you don't need to do it. You just need to accept what I did. You just need to believe in what I did because I give you things by grace, by faith, freely, not by your own works so that you will not boast. I want to protect you from even boasting that you did something and yet I want you to have everything. And that's the good news of the gospel. And she comes and she shows her true character as somebody who believes in God. And the test of everyone's character, not only her, but you and mine, is what do you do when you have power over somebody else? How do you treat somebody over who you have power? And maybe the greatest, even a greater test is what do you do and how do you treat the one that you hate? You say, I don't hate, you know, I don't hate anybody. Well, there is somebody who causes you problem, who holds you hostage. There is somebody or something that is that place that is still sore, still tender, still ill, still smells in your life. It still oozes of sin, of violence, of abuse, of a broken situation. So what do you do and how do you treat somebody that causes you pain? She comes 
And she says, you know, this man has caused so much trouble, but I want you to know, as his wife, that there is a solution. And there is a prophet. There is a prophet that is able to do things for you. In fact, she says, I want you to know that I believe that if I don't tell you this, God will not bless me. Isn't this what she understands? She basically says this. If I don't forgive you, and that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. That's a blessing. When you forgive somebody, you bless them. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that's what we do. We cannot withhold the salt from solving the world. We cannot withhold the light from bringing light into the world. And then she says, there is a solution. I want you to know this blessing because it's a blessing. And there is a prophet in my country. And this is what she said. She said to her mistress, if only my master will see the prophet who is in Samaria, he will cure, cure him of his leprosy. And then this powerful guy comes home and the wife says, do you know what this lady, this little slave said to me? Can you imagine this, this, this powerful soldier who just came from a victory over Samaria and and Israel, and, and what is he hearing? He hears, well, you have to go back and find the prophet in that country because if you want to be healed, the solution is there. So maybe his initial response is, there's no way I'm going back. I just killed them. I just wiped them off. I just brought a lot of them. I brought them up north as slaves. I deported so many of them, including these slaves. So now this little girl tells me that the solution for me is to go back. They're my enemies. I just, I just destroyed them. Why would I go back? It's a powerful reaction, I think. And, and the cure is, again, the cure is available for him. But how bad do you want it, right? How bad do you want the cure? And he has to decide... Is this something that I'm willing to risk everything to go back? To also humiliate my name and to ask to beg my enemy to help me? The ones that I just knocked out and killed and butchered, now I go back to the remaining, to the remnants, to those who are still alive and beg them for, for their help? It's hard to go back. It's hard after you are tough and rough, to go back to the same people and say, I'm sorry. I still have something under this shining armor that is killing me. Can you help me? So Naaman went to his master, which is the king of Syria, and told him the girl, what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, the king said, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. By all means, make sure that you go back. And you don't go back to the prophet because the prophet, he assumed, is a servant of the king. You go back to the top guy. And I will write a letter. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold. Only the gold is one, over 150 pounds of gold. The silver is way, way more than that. But it was a lot of gold. And ten sets of clothing. So make sure you take the letter, but you also take these gifts. And make sure you bring this to the king. So he goes with all of these things and says, okay, I'm going. 
I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to go again and talk to the king. And uh, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my, sa- uh, my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. When as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See, he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. He's trying to pick again another fight. So he tore his clothes. And he says, I'm not God. I am just a king. I cannot heal. I'm not a magician. Leprosy, who can, who can heal of leprosy? Only God can keep somebody's life. And that's the truth in his statement. I'm not God. I cannot give life and take life. But there is somebody there. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and I will know, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. There is this prophet in Israel. And basically the prophet says, you know what? You can be powerful, but there is no help in your army. You can be powerful, but you can have a thousand of horses. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you know and you are working with two kings. It doesn't matter. Your, your problem is still not solved. It doesn't matter how many doctors you visit. It does, how many academic degrees you obtain and how many things and uh, acolytes you, you have. There is something more powerful. So, so Naaman has to learn this thing. And he sends some horses and chariots and stop at Elijah's door. This is the door of a prophet. So he leaves the palace. In Syria, goes to another smaller palace in Samaria, and then he goes to the door of a prophet and he knocks at the door, thinking that finally he's going to meet this prophet. This is a very humbling stage for him, and without the pain that he has, without this leprosy under his shining armor, he would not have found this door to humility. And not only that, the prophet is interesting. The prophet is not coming out. He sends a messenger. And the lesson for us is often God brings us and brings any soldier, any captain to his knees. He is on his knees now begging at the the door of a prophet. And the question for him is, are you going to do whatever it takes? Are you going to go and do whatever God asks you to do? Elijah the prophet sent the message to him. He didn't go to open the door, although this was a big, important person. Elijah sits inside the house, sends a message. Go wash yourself, is the message, from a messenger again. He only gets messages from a little girl who was a servant. And now another servant goes to the door. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. It's almost like he says, what is this, right? Jordan River is not the best river, he thinks. And he kind of gets angry. And this is what he says. Are not Abana and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he returned and went off in a range. He never even thought that this will be a solution. And what's interesting is his own servants, Naaman's servants, went to him and said, My father, which is my master, basically, if the prophet had told you, to do some great things. Would you not have done it? 
How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? If he would have said, you know, go and find the white witch and bring me her broom or something, he would have said, oh, I will go and I will fight. And, you know, even if it takes me five years or something, I'll bring back. But he says, you know, he's not even asking you to do anything big. He just said, go and wash and you will be cleansed. Is that, why? Is it because it's so easy? And Naaman, Naaman discovers in what the soldiers, you know, his, his friends, his servants are faithful people because they realize that he needs to humble himself. And that's what the world needs to understand, that the gospel is not something you do. It's something you receive. So Nabal, Naaman is, is discovering his pride and saying, yeah, I would have done those big things, but this is so simple. Any, any stupid person, any lame, any, any paralytic, anybody can do this. I am so powerful. I, am, I can do big things. Why should I do this little thing? I am wise. I am skilled. And he takes off his clothes, and everybody now sees the leper. And he dips into the Jordan River. The word there dips is he goes, he lowers himself. He was lowering himself, you know, when he did all of these things, coming from big, big place in Syria up to this point. Now he has to even lower in the River Jordan. Maybe it was turbulent and not clear there. He has to go in this dirty, muddy water. And he dips seven times. Seven times he goes down, down, down. Maybe checks every time, you know. Nothing, nothing. But the seventh time, he has to learn to trust God. To do this seven times. And he comes up clean. And his leprosy is gone. But do you think that it was just about leprosy? Do you think that that was his problem, leprosy? By this time, his heart is changed. So Naaman not only has a clean body, but a clean heart. If you look in the text, in the following verses, it says, Naaman says, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. He finally has a new beginning, a new mind that tells him, I know that there is one true God, no other gods. Well, I thought that you went there just to be healed of leprosy. He says, no, I changed my mind. There is only one God. He has a new heart. Look what he said. Please accept now a gift from your servant. It's, it's a heart that is generous. And it's a heart that is full of service. He says, Naaman, Naaman said, please let me your servant. He says that to the prophet. Let me your servant be given as much Earth. He wants earth. Do you know what? He wants earth from, from this land to bring it back home, to build an altar to this true God. And this is what he says. From now on, your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. He says, when my master goes in his temple of worship, the temple of Rimon, to bow down, he usually goes with me, and he is leaning on my hand, on my arm, and I bow down with him there also. And I want this. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord, which is the true God, forgive your servant for this. And the prophet says, go in peace, Elijah said. His heart is changed. He realizes that he needs God's forgiveness. That his problem was not the leper. His problem was a mind that was believing a lie. 
It needed transformation, a heart that also was hardened. So today, if you are like Naaman here, I just want you to, to know that. If you are like Naaman and still exploring, still not convinced, I want, I want you to know that there is nothing you can do to fix your real problem. There is nothing you can do. Salvation, a life that is righteous, is not something you gain by what you do. And second, that God invites you to accept His solution to change your mind and your heart. There is only one prophet. And we talk in, in our world, we talk about Christ as being God's prophet. And He came to us as a prophet too. And He tells you that there is no other name in which you can be saved. There is no other wound, there is no other person, but Isaiah says, by Christ's wounds we are healed. And if you are like a, a young girl, you say, I'm a disciple, I'm a believer, and I'm still suffering, I still go through pain, I'm still in the house of my master, I'm still a refugee, I'm still an immigrant that is, is kind of in the house of sin, in the house of pain, in the house of trouble and problems, my life is full, I just want you to know that God wants you to trust now, it's not something we like to be in that house of pain. But God wants you to trust. And especially in our Reformed faith, we believe that your trouble, your pain, is part of God's plan for you. That He is not just looking the other way when you go to trouble. Your, brother, your trouble is still. And second, God wants you to, to be used in this time to bless others. There are so many of you that go to troubles in our church. If you look in our bulletin, there are so many things. Cancer, illnesses, difficulties. And there are so many other things that are not in the bulletin because we keep them hiding, right? But I just want you to, to know that the Spirit of God gives us power. And all of you who go to those troubles are our heroes. Because we look at you and we see your faith in the midst of trouble. We see your hope when there is no hope that you will be healed. We see how you stay faithful, patient, and how you journey. And that's a testimony not only to us. It is an encouragement to us, but definitely a testimony to the world, to the community, to those people in the hospitals that work with you. And it's a thing, a, a glimpse of what Christ wants to do in our lives when we are in trouble, to let him use us. To remember that there is grace for everyone and to believe in the gospel of good news that he can save today and he can still clean us of all our sins. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that in Christ Jesus we have the hope, the hope that you can take away our pain, that our pain, even if physically is not cured, you are still walking with us. You are still sovereign, you are still on the throne, and you still have a plan for us. So we give you thanks that in your mercy we can trust in the middle of the storm that you know where we are heading. That you, that you know and you can give us peace, you can give us your comfort. When the law, we lose our human hope, you give us hope in the Spirit. And we give you thanks for that. And may we find our calling to believe in you in the midst of the storm. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand as we sing as we response together to Christ alone, our cornerstone.
to pray with somebody there is a prayer room to my right make sure you use that before you leave and otherwise make sure that you remember that the grace of our God the Father the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you no matter what pain you go through amen you may go in peace